see you all. It's the first time I've preached in a long time with this many people in the building, so it's so nice to see faces. So good to be with you all online, watching from around the place. This morning just feels a little different. I don't know if you feel that, but every Sunday is different. Every Sunday is different. But this morning has somewhat of a theme to it. And it's these really special moments when you can do all this planning and prepping towards a Sunday in every area. I mean, from what the guys are doing in the band, to the production, to the sermon, to the people leading the meeting. And it can go just beautifully well. And you can have a great time in worship and really meet God and meet one another. And it's, 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 it's amazing. And then, and then sometimes there's this odd connectivity to a morning. And it always strikes me on those particular mornings how important it is just to get together and collectively be a part of something that I'll be as bold to say it seems like God is choosing to do at that particular time in that particular place. And uh, it always revitalizes my awareness of what actually happens when we come together. For about two, two three weeks, I've had a very familiar scripture running through my mind. It's Mark 4. You all know it really well. Those of you who have been around church for any amount of time, especially if you grew up in Sunday school and the like, Jesus come in the storm. And it's easy with very familiar passages to fall into Sunday school syndrome, where the familiar is so close to you, you can't really see it anymore. You know, you hold something so close to your eyes, you can't actually see it. It's too close. And the scriptures can be like that for us. It's like, well, I know that. I know how it ends. I know the end of that story. You can't tell me anything new about it. And that's how I kind of initially felt when I started thinking about it. But I just couldn't get away from it. So for the last few weeks, I've just been thinking about this passage in Mark 4 where Jesus calms the storm. And because of a lack of foresight and preparation, I didn't connect with any of the band to say, this is where I think I'm going to go this morning. What are you feeling? Tim and Maria, what are you feeling? But I rocked up this morning and we started worshiping, and every single song was about the storm. And I started looking around at the room and seeing all of you guys worshiping. Oh, and I started to feel so emotional. I felt really caught off guard. I started thinking about last week when John kicked off this new kind of series within a series called Level Up. And he talked about the pastors in John 6 where Jesus really starts talking about who he is and what he's about. You know, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you're here for the first time, this isn't a cult. But uh, it is this passage of scripture where Jesus really brings it. And he says, this is what it means to follow me. And people get really disturbed and uncomfortable and offended. And many, it says, walk away. But then there's some that linger. And Jesus looks at him and he says, what about you guys? You're going you're gonna to leave as well? And they say to him, Jesus, where else would we go? For you, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And I was looking around the room at everyone worshiping. Oh, I started getting so emotional because I thought, you know, it's so humble actually to say that. Jesus saying, what about you guys? You're going to stick around? And they don't say, Jesus, you know us. We're the people of faith. We believe it. They say, we've seen too much. We find this uncomfortable, Jesus, what you're saying. And we have just as many reasons to doubt and just as many reasons to think this is absolute madness. 2,000 years ago, we still believed this man was raised from the dead. 
after all we've been through. And it's like Jesus is asking it again about you guys. And I looked around at the room with everyone worshiping with this theme running through the morning of the storm and transition and in between. People with their hands up. Andy talked about this a few weeks ago, almost like the passion matching and exceeding the passion of seeing people at football matches. Why do people put their hands up at football matches? Why do they put their hands up at a concert? It's because your body physically has to respond to something deeper going on inside of you. You don't have to do it, but when, you, when you're listening to music, sometimes your hands just go up. Sometimes you just start dancing. Sometimes a goal is scored and your body just responds because there's something happening inside. And I'm looking at everyone with their hands up and I'm seeing a room full of people that are echoing these words that these disciples said 2,000 years ago, we have seen too much. Are you with me? We're still here. And for these last few weeks, I've just been meditating on this passage and I'm going to go through it, but I just, I just want to honor you all. I just want us to stay in that space. Of, that's where we're coming at this morning with that humility of, do you have doubts? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Do you have questions? More than I can count. Have people given you really good reasons of why their life without faith works? Yeah. That's the problem when you start reading outside of the tribe. That's when you start talking to people that think other, other ways about life. Yeah, for sure. But I've seen too much. I've seen too much, man. I have bared witness to the resurrection and the life. And as much as I might get uncomfortable and as much as I might have doubts and as much as I might have questions, he still is who he says he is. Amen. So we're talking about last week this, this, uh, this word, this phrase level up in this season of amplification that we're talking about. Amplify, level up. And John talked about the whole reality of when you're in a video game and you level up. And as soon as you get to the next level, the boss in the video game gets bigger. I have no experience of this. I was a missionary kid. We didn't play video games. We played with goats. Um, so I don't, I'm just relate. I'm just trying to be culturally relevant saying this. But yes, the boss gets bigger. And it's true. I mean, we know in our own lives, just the spiritual life, the spiritual path is one of resistance. There is absolutely no version of the scriptures, no version of Christian teaching that is void of resistance and struggle and battle. To live in the way of Christ is to live in a constant resistance. It's a constant swimming upstream. And the more you choose to walk in this way, the more resistance one feels. So we're talking about that. We're leveling up. There's always a constant invitation to not be passive, as Tim was talking about, to not remain in comfortability, to not remain in comfort, but actually choose to, to grow and be stretched. And uh, I really want to continue that story today. I want to continue on that idea. And I want to talk about perhaps how we defeat the boss. <laughs> how we, how we trying, to, trying to sound like I know about video games. How we, you know, acknowledge the resistance and we move beyond there. Are you with me this morning for a conversation about that? Um, Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're in the room. I thank you that something's happening this morning. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to articulate it. I don't have the words, but I just acknowledge that. This isn't just a room of people looking at a man. This is a, picture this for me, will you, will you just, we're in a circle. Instead of just imagining, you know, the, the reality of the room of Rose and me up here, can we just, just imagine we're in a circle. We're just, we're all turned to look at each other. And we're saying this morning, collectively, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey into the scriptures. 
and find out how we collectively can continue to grow spiritually, how we can collectively grow in formation, how we can practice the ways of Jesus and grow in our faith. So the, the passage I'm, I'm getting into is, is um, Mark 4. So if you want to open your Bibles, open it up to Mark 4. And I want to talk about a few practices that I see from this scripture of what it might be to live a life that isn't justified by a resistance, acknowledging resistance, but actually living in liberation, living in abundance. Before I do that, this is, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, and he's really naming everything we're talking about when we're talking about a boss, when we're talking about resistance. He says this, Ephesians 6, 12, he says, listen, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I know it feels like we do. I know it feels like the battles that we have are flesh and blood, but he says it's not actually flesh and blood that we, that we wrestle against. And this is where it gets mystical, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle, though it feels like it's all about you and your flesh, it actually isn't, Paul's saying. There is this whole other realm that is existing all of the time. We're in the matrix. There's this whole other reality that's realer than this one, and it's constant. And as C.S. Lewis does so well in the, in the screw tape letters, the, the best ploy and scheme of that spiritual darkness is to convince us that it doesn't exist and to make everything that we're going through about what's here and now and tangible. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, it's real. You can't see it, but it's real. So if we want to talk about overcoming resistance, we're going to talk about the powers we can't even see. And this scripture uh, in, in Mark 4, I think, does it incredibly well. So before I read it, Mark 4, if you know the, if you know the chapter, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chapter of parables, parabolic teaching by Jesus. He's, at, he's at, the, at the beach, and he's sat on the boat, it says, and everyone lines the shore to listen to the rabbi teach. And Jesus is riffing story after story, parable after parable. He's just sat on the boat trying to communicate to this group of people the reality of his kingdom. And it's as if he's just looking at them and thinking of experiences they might have in real life as tradesmen and as farmers, as normal people. And he's using their everyday life to communicate something of the kingdom. So the parable of the sower. He talks about how the words he's saying have to be received in a certain way. How the words that he's communicating, the reality of his kingdom, have to take root in the soil. And if they don't, they fall away. And if, they, if they're met with a little bit of resistance, he says, a lot of people just give way to the resistance. And they never let the word really form within them. He's speaking of the parable of the seed, the mustard seed. It's tiny, he says. The mustard seed's tiny. But when it takes root, it grows into this magnificent, massive tree. You might remember in the book of Matthew, I think it's Matthew 17, Jesus talks about a mustard seed. He says, faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. Because God never looks at the size of something, but the size of the thing within it. <laughs> within the mustard seed is the mustard tree. So when Jesus is talking in parables, he's trying to find ways to convince them of what he's saying in really tangible understanding. But it's in the passage, in this one chapter of parables, this whole story of the wind and the waves and Jesus on the boat comes into play. And when you read about this, when you, when you look at what the scholars have to say, 
There's a reason that this story is matched with these parables. This story, I believe, is real. I don't believe it's a parable. I believe it's, a, I believe it's real. It says Jesus, at the end of the day, finished teaching, got into the boat, went out to the lake, and then something happened. But we, 2,000 years later, we're to read this story almost as a parable, right? So we're not just reading it to read it and say, oh, it's interesting, man. 2,000 years ago, that's something that happened. In the same way we talk about the resurrection, it's not just something that happened. It did happen. I believe that it happened. But it's also something that is happening right now. We're not just reading it for historical context. We're reading it for spiritual formation. So when I read this, I almost want us to get into the flow of Jesus teaching us, teaching us of his kingdom, what it means to live in the way of him, following him, right? So this is, this is how it goes. Verse 35 Mark 4, and on that day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats went with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. A windstorm is deafening. A windstorm doesn't often come with rain. It's just howling winds, like a cyclone over the waters, to the point the waves are rising and crashing, and they're beginning to fill the boat. So that's something that happened. But it's also something that's happening. See if you can relate. I'll go first. I definitely can. Ever feel like you're moving throughout your life with a howling wind around you? Ever move throughout your days feeling overwhelmed, like a boat where the water is finding its way over the timber walls and beginning to fill? Do you ever feel in such a way? Howling winds. I wish I could do it over the microphone in justice. Can't do it, I won't try it. Deafening, deafening, howling winds. But he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern. Check this out. He was in the stern and he was asleep on the cushion. I like to think Jesus carried that cushion around with him. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. The disciples woke him and they said, Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care? that we are perishing. Do you not care that we are about to die? That is something they said. It is something that happened, but it's also something that is happening. Have you ever said that to God? Do you care? Do you even see what I'm going through? Are you even aware that I am about to die? Maybe not physically, maybe relationally, maybe financially, maybe physically. Do you not care, God? I feel like I'm about to die. And you don't seem to be doing anything. Anybody relate? It's something that happened, but it's something that's happening right now. Verse 38. Do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, that's, a, that's an unanswered prayer pain, isn't it? That's an unanswered prayer pain. You're still not changing the situation. So verse 39, it says, he awoke. <laughs> can, you, 
he awoke, got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said, peace, be still. Some translations say, silence. Shut your mouth. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. It said that there was a great windstorm. And then what followed was a great calm. Not just peace, but a great calm. How does, a great, how does silence in greatness sound? A great calm. Verse 40, right? He's rebuked the wind and the waves, and he's still in rebuking tone. And he turns to them, and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, let me get into this real quick. He's rebuked the wind and the waves, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, I imagine his tone is pretty, pretty similar. Why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith? Were you not here all day when I was doing the parables? Were you not listening? I thought I was speaking to the crowd. I thought you guys got it. He even says that. He says, I speak to these guys in parables because they don't understand it. But he's realizing, oh, you guys didn't understand it either. Do you still have no faith? Jesus isn't defining faith as bigness and boldness, remember. He's not talking about if you have faith, you look like a mustard tree. You look like an oak tree. Faith in Jesus' terms is as small as a mustard seed. But check this out. It's well-planted. It's rooted. Me being on this mic, me being on this stage doesn't say anything about my faith. It just says right now I have a louder voice than all of you. We can get into the thinking, especially in a church culture where we value, and I'm not saying it's wrong, value a little bit of production. Value a little bit of good communication. I love good communication. But we can begin thinking and associating faith is related to how eloquent someone is or how how the appearance of having confidence in a situation comes across. He's got so much faith. He said it so clearly and so boldly. But faith isn't about being big and being loud. Faith is about being rooted. Faith is about being grounded. Faith is about growing into something. So when Jesus says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Translation, he's saying, oh, I thought you were more rooted than this. It wasn't that you should have been, you know, oh, just loud and silence, wind and waves. It was that you got so scared so quickly. You weren't rooted. But there's something very interesting about this text. There's two, there's two different Greek words at play, and this is, this is really important. So he says to them, why are you so afraid? And it's this Greek word, dilos. It's used only a few times in the New Testament. I think in Matthew and in Revelation, and it has to do with uh, cowardice, like being a coward. In, in fact, in Revelation, it's literally addressed as, oh, you cowards. It's about having that level of fear and timidity. It's like really addressing it. That's when he says, why, it's, it sounds hard, why are you being a coward? <laughs> why are you so scared? Obviously, there's good reason, but he's saying, why are you so scared? Do you have no faith? Are you not rooted? But then, he, then he, he, he stops rebuking them, and they turn to each other, and it says, they were filled with great fear. 
So Jesus saying, why were you afraid? He's done a miracle, but it says they're filled with great fear. It's a different word, though. These two words are never used interchangeable in the New Testament. They're never, oh, it sometimes says this, and it sometimes says this. These two, this is, this is the difficulty of reading a, a, a book 2,000 years old, not written in English, in English, because you have afraid and we have fear. But the second word, phobisthi, I probably said that wrong. That's used much more throughout the, the New Testament. Matthew 9, is it? The, uh, the man comes down on his mat through the roof. Remember that? Jesus raises him up, and it says everyone was filled with this word, awe and wonder, reverence. There's never, they're never interchangeable, these two words. So what happens here is Jesus saying, why were you so afraid? Then they turn to each other and they say, who is this guy? And they are filled with wonder and awe. The first thing this scripture says to me as it's been going around my mind is, Josh, you can either live in anxiety or you can live in awe. You can live in worry or you can live in wonder. Stay with me. You can le either live in fear of the what if or you can live in the wonder of what is. You can either live in the anxiety of what if or you can live in the awe of what is. And honestly, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but we do overcomplicate it. That Jesus' relationship to worry and anxiety throughout the New Testament is, don't do it. He says, do not be anxious. And I know in 2021, listen, I am not, I am not um, downplaying the reality of anxiety and our journeys in mental health. You can have Jesus and a therapist. I married one. That's how much I needed a counselor in my life. But, when Jesus speaks to worry in Matthew, he says, do not be anxious. And then he says, if you do get anxious, look at the birds of the air and look at the flowers of the field. Look how God provides for them and just think how much more does he care for you. You can live in a focus upon what you don't have or you can live on a focus upon what you do have. And Jesus is saying, it will change your mentality. It will change the way you see things. And what's happening in this text is there's one person in the boat who's gone to sleep because there's one person in the boat who is more, more convinced of what is than anyone else in the boat who's convinced of what if. What if we die? What if this boat sinks? Jesus has the sweet assurance of what is. I know my father's going to take care of me. I just know that's going to happen. You might be sad to think, Josh, you're oversimplifying this. And maybe I am. But when it comes to those moments in your life where everything is falling apart, and I've been there a number of times, I know this. I have two choices. What if and what is. I didn't know we were going to sing even now this morning. But that song, Karen, I wrote that song three in the morning as our friend was slipping from this life into the next. And it was the only song we could sing. And I'm so grateful that we did sing it. Because just like you all, we're still here. We've seen too much. We're still here. You can't just live in that place like that, though. His three simple practices that have been a huge part of my life um, and I hope they encourage you, three simple practices for remaining in the what is instead of the what if of these storms. The first one, I'll begin with this, is to live a life 
of reflection. To live a life that is filled with the reflection upon truth, gratitude, hopefulness. Sometimes you have to carve out a great calm to remain in it when there is definitely going to be a great windstorm. You have to practice living in a great calm in the midst of a great windstorm. And that for me is this practice of reflection. The word I use more than any is meditation. Joshua 1, God preparing Joshua for the battles ahead of him. He doesn't say, hey, here's the strategy for the army. He says, meditate. Meditate upon the word day and night. Never leave your mouth. Meditate, Josh. Meditate. Because what goes on in your mind will define what goes on outside of it. Meditate. Paul talks about it. The battle is in the mind. We must take thoughts captive. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But the renewal of your mind is time to see things differently. Meditation can be as simple as this. Every morning you begin your day with 10 minutes of nothing. 10 minutes of silence. And all you got to do is wake up. Before you go downstairs, don't tell me you don't have time. Before you go downstairs and put the coffee on or get the kids, whatever you do, 10 minutes. Just sit in your bed. Acknowledge that a new day has started. I woke up today. Okay, I've got at least one thing to be grateful for. I'm here. And then we're just going to do this. You can do it with me right now. Coming into alignment. The waves roll in and the waves draw out. The sun rises and the sun sets. There's a rhythm to our existence. And in breathing and focusing on our breath, we're returning to that rhythm. And we're returning to a stillness. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Which says to me, without stillness, we don't have a full understanding of who God is. So find stillness at the beginning of the day. Find silence. Find quiet to meditate upon what is. Because if you want to amplify something... There's two ways of doing it. You can turn up the volume or you can turn it down. Sometimes we need to turn down the volume so we can hear and amplify what was going on the whole time. Are you with me? So when Eden was born, we found this incredible invention which is called white noise, right? So we did it in the opposite. We just turned white noise in her room. So the white noise is playing and we can have a conversation without waking her up. We would put it in her bed. So when she's like sleeping in our room back in the early days, there'd be some white noise playing. We could actually have a little conversation because the white noise was actually muffling our conversation. We do it now. We're downstairs watching a movie. I like having the movie loud. She can't hear the movie because of the white noise, just obliterating the outside sound. So it'd be like, I'm talking now, and you can hear my voice. But if white noise started filling this room, my voice is going to start getting a little bit quieter. It's going to get a little bit more difficult to hear my voice. In fact, it doesn't need to turn me up. <laughs> you need to turn that down. And we spend a lot of our lives living with that running the whole time. And I've learned this. Unless you create silence, you're consciously creating noise in your life. How many of you lived like the water in a boat feeling overwhelmed? Some of you. That feeling of being overwhelmed, there's a deep spiritual ancient practice to it. 
finding reflection, finding space, meditation. In our church, there's two apps that have been created. Meaningful, live from rest, two apps to help Christians meditate upon the word as often and as for as long amount of time as you possibly want. You can download them now. iOS, Android, meaningful, and live from rest. Meditate upon the word. Find space and stillness in your life. Jesus could sleep through a storm because there was a great calm within him. And this stuff that we're talking about, this is the sign of spiritual maturity, practicing spiritual formational work is what grows you in maturity. You could, we can get old. It doesn't make us mature. You can, you can get older in age, but still have a mind that is full of clutter and none of the peace that Jesus came to offer us. We've got to remember that. If we want to grow in the way of Jesus, we must practice the way of Jesus. And Jesus practices. He would constantly find somewhere to be still, constantly find somewhere to find space. So that's the first thing, reflection. This is how we level up. This is how we tackle the boss. Level up. Another, another real practice, real quick, Lecto Divina, meditation upon the scripture. This is wonderful. You, all you need to do is take one verse and just spend 15 minutes on the verse. Read it. Just read it once. And then just reflect upon it. What might the Spirit be saying to me through this verse? Allow it to form something within you. Allow yourself to be fermented within the scriptures. Be fermented within the presence of God. We got all these jars in our house where pickles and things are fermenting. Fermenting breaks down something complex to something more simple so the body can actually consume the nutrients better because it's more simple. When we meditate, when we spend time in stillness, that which is within us that is so complex is simplified in the presence of God. Reflection. The second thing is, and this is a real fun one. Reflection, yeah, they're all ours just to make it simple. Reflection Rebuke. You know, you're allowed to rebuke. You're allowed. You're allowed to take authority over things in your life, just like Jesus did. You're allowed to speak into the chaos of your own mind, like Paul said, and take thoughts captive and say, no, I don't want this anymore. You're allowed to do that. What Jesus did when he rebuked is he took authority over what was happening. And we need to remember that we can do that. I told this story before, so I'll tell it real quick. But when we were living in a flat, my mom came to stay. You might remember that. And there was, there was people living above us. It was like 11 o'clock. We went to bed. And they were starting playing music. I was thinking, oh, my mom's gone to sleep. So I just ran upstairs real quick, knocked on the door. And they said, guys, could you just be quiet? I've got my mom here. She's sleeping. And they said, yeah, we'll turn it down. An hour later, keeps going. I go back up. Hey, you said you were going to turn it down. It's midnight, my mom's sleeping. They say, it's all right, we're going to go out. We're going to go to a club, so we're going to be out of here. I look around the door, there's like 20 people in there. I was like, yeah, so they're not coming back with you, though, are they? They're like, no, 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 it's just three of us. All right, cool. Four in the morning. They all start streaming through the building. Oh, man, I'm getting angry. They get up to their flat. <laughs> I actually do remember what song they were playing. They were playing Kendrick Lamar, which was a little better for me because I'm a fan. But still, four in the morning with my mom sleeping. And I went up, bang, 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 bang. Open up the door, shut the music off. <gasps> okay. Go downstairs and the music's silent. I lay in bed, feeling kind of an adrenaline rush, feeling pretty good about myself. And then it's thinking, this is it. Paul says, take thoughts captive. Jesus says, look to the wind and the waves, the storm in your life, and say, be still. 
Make a practice in your life. I know it sounds simple, but we overcomplicate it sometimes. Every single day, every single evening. I do it with Eden. Every single evening we look in the mirror and we speak authoritatively over her who she is. This is who I am. This is who I am. My mind isn't conformed to the patterns of the world, but until the patterns of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Would you do that? Would you practice a rhythm of rebuke in your life? Rebuke it. Take authority over it. Say, no, I'm not believing that anymore. Reflection. Rebuking. Timothy 2, 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. God has not given you a spirit of fear, my friends, but of power and of love. And some of you need to believe this this morning. And sound mind. You have a sound mind. Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and is peace. So if you could be humble enough this morning and say, do you know what? I think my mind is governed by the flesh. I think I agree with the first thought that comes into my mind about myself and about this world I live in. I'll be honest about that this morning. So this week, I'm going to practice what it is for my mind to be governed by the Spirit, meditating upon what is instead of what if, rebuking and taking authority over thoughts because they have no place to be in my mind. When my dad had cancer before his surgery, I would ask him, how are you sleeping? And he said, Josh, I'm having the best sleep of my life. He'd struggle with insomnia, but he said, I'm taking, I'm, he said, the, the fight for the night is fought in the day. That's what he would say. I'm taking time in the day to meditate upon the word and upon who God is. And now I'm sleeping all the way through the night. And he'd say, he'd always talk about this, this uh, bit in The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. Anybody read The Last Battle? Right, so you remember this. Oh, you might have to help me out with his name. Tiberius? Say again. Tiberius. Tiberius is with the children. The huge battle is happening the next day, and they have terrible odds, right? They are completely overwhelmed. And there's this incredible scene where they hide away in this tower, and he says to the kids, let's go to sleep. And then it just says, he laid himself down to sleep and chose not to think about the battle. <laughs> he said, I'm just not going to think about the battle till morning. And my dad would say that all the time. He said, I'm just going to sleep and I'm choosing. I'm just not going to think about the battle. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Sleep is so important. Ruth talked about this a little while ago. Stay hydrated and get lots of sleep, and you'll find you start winning some spiritual battles. <laughs> the fight for the night is fought in the day. I love that. I said, Dad, where did you get that from? He said, I, uh, I came up with it. I'm, I'm trying to believe him. That's amazing. The fight for the night is fought in the day. I got one more, and then, I, and, then I'm, and then we're wrapping up. Reflect. Find some space to turn down the noise, the white noise, so you can actually hear what has been said the whole time. God is speaking to you day and night, day and night. Be still and know that he is God. Rebuke. Take authority over it. And finally, and you're going to love this one, repent. Repent. That word is metanoia, a change of consciousness. And to anyone in the room who's at church for the first time, you're like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have come. I knew it. Repent. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And what he's saying isn't, you're terrible. You're terrible. What he's saying is, if you want this kingdom that I'm talking about, this kingdom of life and peace, you need to change the way you think about everything. 
metanoia, a change of consciousness. And you can't heal something with the same consciousness that created it. You need a whole new way of thinking about it. Repent is to turn around, to change how you're thinking. If you're here for the first time, and maybe you're a little intrigued, the reason we keep coming back, the reason that we keep following Jesus is we've learned how to exist within this world with a whole different way of seeing things. We can have peace in the storm. You don't have to put your hand up, but do you want that this morning? Jesus has overcome the world. We sung about it. The cross of Jesus does this. It defeats death. Hebrews says, God became man so that he could defeat death and with it defeat the fear of death. The greatest fear that we have is death. When I studied philosophy, my professor said, from this day, we're not bringing God into the conversation. All right? We are going to overcome the fear of death with wisdom, mind, knowledge alone. I did four years and I was not convinced. Because until you have a story about someone who actually defeated death, nothing else really is suffice. Nothing else. And that's what we worship. That's what we celebrate, is it not? Right? Death has been defeated. That's why we have peace in the storm. That is the change of consciousness. That's how we see everything differently. So when we repent, when we confess that we don't want to walk this way anymore, and we repent, what we're doing is we're saying, God, Spirit, we want a whole new way of seeing it. We receive a whole new way of seeing it. Luke 15, the prodigal son story, you guys know it. He turned around and he went home. That teaches us when we repent, we return home. We return to what has always been truest about us and about God. That's how we take authority. Pride will stop you from taking authority. But as soon as you confess, Jesus' brother James says, confess regularly. He says, God opposes the proud. Confess regularly. You'll actually find this huge space in your life. Throughout lockdown, when we could meet up, me, um, John Horswell, and Will Moore would go for a walk every Friday through the two tunnels. And we'd walk, and as we'd walk back in that last tunnel, we'd have a time of confession. We'd just confess to each other. We'd confess the ways things hadn't gone well that week, the way that we had fallen short, the way that we had sinned. We'd confess. And as soon as we were coming to the end of our confession each week, the light from the end of the tunnel would saturate the darkness and would walk out free, free from our pride, free from our self-righteousness, free to come home to what has always been true. Amen. Find a time of reflection in your week. Take authority and rebuke. You're allowed to do that. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Jesus has overcome the world, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And thirdly, repent. Find someone to confess to you and allow yourself to make the decision to return home. Should we play another song? Yeah. Would you guys stand with me? And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer over you, and I believe we're going we're gonna to sing a song. I don't mean this morning to oversimplify what might feel like very complex situations, but I want us to just take the moment to trust in this story and trust that what Jesus did in the wind and the waves isn't just something that happened, but it's something that is happening today. And that perhaps we can go into this week with a sense of peace and a great calm like we've never known. When you meet someone who has peace in their heart, you really do want what they have. And when we're talking about amplifying our sound, we don't want to amplify the sound of white noise. We don't want to amplify the sound of chaos and fear and worry. We want to amplify the sound of peace. We want to amplify the sound of love in our life. Amen.
So though the storm rages on and there's darkness in the skies, if you're standing in the boat with us tonight, then the wind and waves subside. Jesus, we receive your peace this morning. We receive the opportunity to reflect upon what is, not what if. Even if, even if my friends, you have to go through a thousand what ifs just to get to that what is. And perhaps it's a what is from years ago, a what is, oh my goodness, what is true is that I'm loved. What is true is that I have friends. What is true is that God has provided for me. Ah, so many what ifs, but what is true is this. Lord, lead us in that this morning that we could say, even now, despite everything going on, even now we believe. Not out of showmanship and out of performance, but out of the humility of a small mustard seed buried into good soil, growing into something far more magnificent than it seems. May it be. May it be this morning. May it be this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Thank you that our minds are governed by the Spirit. Receive that this morning. My mind is governed by the Spirit. I am enlightened. As Paul says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. I see things differently. The storm rages on. Hallelujah. There's darkness in the skies If you're standing in the boat with us tonight The wind and waves subside Though the storm rages on And there's darkness in the skies You're standing in the boat with us tonight The wind and waves subside Even now, even now Even now, even now the grave where the mourners come to grieve you're the resurrection and the life and Jesus